Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to Exodus chapter 2 this morning. Our text will be found, I'll read in just a moment, verses 1 through 10. I want to welcome every one of you here this morning. Thank you so much for your prayers for me. I'm so encouraged to hear that my gut-wrenching illness was part of God's sovereign plan just to arrange this message on this Sunday. I want to thank Matt McDermott just for answering his phone. Not always the most pleasant phone call to receive. But what do you do? You go to the bullpen, they say a team is only as strong as the bullpen is. So you go to the bullpen once and once in a while. Also want to thank you for your prayers. It was a week ago that we met as elders for an elders retreat. I specifically requested prayer. I want to thank you for that very profitable time, a special um, just thanks to the Koch family for hosting us and serving us the way that you do. Um, what, a, what a blessing it is to work alongside the men, the elders, that God has called here as a local church. There is, I describe it, a core of unity that exists within that body. It is spirit-led, and I'm grateful for that. About a month's time, I'll give a summary update by way of where we are um, as a church, and some of a summary from our weekend as well. There was one area that there is complete disunity amongst all of the elders. There was not one who agreed with the other. Remember at one particular point, one of the elders was stating the fact that they were married to the most beautiful woman in the world. And someone said, wait a minute, I, I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world. Somebody else said, no, I, to this moment, no one agrees with the other person. There is disunity, I guess, at that level. Um, but they are good men, godly men. And we also just thank their wives and their families for sacrificing the time that these men give um, to serve you and to, most importantly, serve the Lord. We have before us an amazing text. There's a lot here. We're going to pray, and then we'll dive into it in just a moment. Would you bow our heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for gathering us, for calling us together for watching over us as we came on slick roads, slippery roads this morning. Thank you for every person that is here, every person that's listening to this message. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here. We thank you, Lord, for this church that has been faithful over decades. We pray, Lord, that right now the task before us, both as speaker and as listeners, that we would be faithful to the calling you have given to us, to not only be hearers of your word, but to be doers. Lord, I ask for help. Just give clarity of thought and mind, speech. May you be glorified with everything, every word that is spoken. We do think, Lord, particularly this morning, as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we just pray, Lord, for, for our community as we seek to launch PRC. We just pray, Lord, for provision. We pray for protection. We pray, Lord, for for ones who are facing a decision. We just pray, Lord, that you would give strength and boldness for them to choose life. We pray, Lord, as well, 
as we are certain that there are some who have suffered the loss and the choice of abortion. We pray, Lord, that we be reminded of your grace, your unconditional love, and your forgiveness, and that we would seek to minister to one another just as you've ministered to us. Bless this time. Bless this word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Exodus chapter 2, we have before us a story that many, many people from childhood have heard of, and you've probably even seen an artist's rendering at, at some level, a drawing or even a cartoon of, of a smiling baby in this buoyant kind of plush blanket lined basket that, that looks kind of like this. And this is kind of what we're raised on by way of the story of Moses, baby Moses in the night. Or maybe not this picture. There's, there's the one that you have in your bulletin inserts to color along the way. For those of you that, that listen better while you're coloring, there's other, other pictures that would be, this looks like Moses and they have like, like marshmallows on a stick. They're apparently going to have like a campfire and cook s'mores together. There's all kind of interesting ones. This is what I call Charlie Brown Moses. You, you kind of, we have this idea of what Moses and the story is about. To be perfectly honest, I don't really think it looked like that. You have to kind of set the background a little bit. There's an evil king that literally is throwing babies, ordering babies to be thrown, to be drowned in the Nile River. But in the midst of that story, there's a family. One family that had faith. They had an idea. In all honesty, it's, it's a desperate, desperate time. But desperate times call for desperate measures. At first glance, we find it quite hard, as we ask by way of our introduction to the study in Exodus, how does Exodus really set in ancient Egypt and the Sinai Peninsula some 3,500 years ago, how, how does Exodus impact my life today? Many immediately think this, unlike Moses, what? I was not born in slavery. Unlike Moses, I, I'm not part of a family that is despised by the government. Unlike Moses, I did not have a, a despot enemy king that, that was seeking to kill me as soon as I was born. Unlike Moses, we were not hidden in a basket. But amongst the bulrushes, in order to be safe, in order to be saved, we look at our life and we say, what? I was born in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. Some of you were born in, in Maryland or maybe in New Jersey. So sorry for that, but that's what happened in some of your lives. We kind of, we, we all kind of have, we'd maybe say a normal home at some level. A middle class, we went to kindergarten, we went to elementary school, we were in the junior high school play. Always a painful memory. We all had kind of those like gangly, zit-faced years. 
But we played ball, we made some friends, we went to some parties, we kind of went to church, we're kind of good people, none of us really ever have killed anyone before, so there's not a lot of connection to Exodus, not a lot of connection to Moses. That's where you are greatly, gravely mistaken. All of us, we have been born into bondage and slavery. Psalm 51, David says what? I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Ephesians chapter 2 says that what by nature we are children of wrath. And it is true that there is an enemy. At this very moment that is seeking to kill you, to destroy you. His, his name is Satan. First Peter says that we are to be watchful. There is an adversary. There is an enemy like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may destroy. Now, although you may not have had to be floated in a basket by way of a means of salvation, Christ was sent to carry the burden of your sin and my sin, to keep you from the enemy of sin and death. We have a Savior. Galatians chapter 5, what? Christ has set us free. Through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we have a rescuer. Just like Moses, we have a redeemer. When we put our faith in Jesus, just like this family put their faith in a little tiny basket, we're just hoping that this thing's going to float. We can very much, all of us, can very much see ourselves in this text. There is much we can learn about God's grace, about God's plan, and God's purpose for our lives. Pick it up. The words will be in front of you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Exodus chapter 2. I start in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dubbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. 
and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Three points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. We can learn a lot from this text. We can see ourselves in this text. Number one, we can learn how God, in his grace, protected baby Moses. It's all God's grace that protects baby Moses. We, we, we remember the background, I hope a little bit. Exodus, the word literally means what? Departure or going out. Um, I use the term exit. It's easy to remember. Exodus is part of the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five uh, books of the Old Testament written by the same man. Primary character is Moses himself, written about 1400 B.C. And we learn that Genesis closes with a focus on one family that had been without food in the midst of a famine, so they went down into Egypt where Joseph was to get food. So not only were they without food, now they're without a home. We saw this family had been forgotten. They were in bondage, they're in slavery, they're in suffering, they're oppressed. Last time we looked what? The more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. The more that they were oppressed. Chapter 1, verse 12, the more that they multiplied. How is that? Why is that? Because God had given to them a promise. God had promised that this family would be blessed and it would grow into a great nation, even if it was hard, and it was. God is a God who keeps his promises, even in the midst of your life right now, regardless of how hard of a chapter that you are in the midst of going through. God is a God who keeps his promises. He sees you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. This story begins like many, many stories that we know. Two people meet. They fall in love. They get married. And they have a family. Although we're not told their names in this text, we know that later on, Exodus chapter 6, we're, we're, we're introduced to Moses' dad and mom. Amram is his dad and Jochebed is his mom. Even in the midst of hardship, of bondage and slavery, even in the midst of oppression, they were married, they had children, and there was celebration. Even in the midst of what stressful circumstances. That's how life can be for children of God. Celebration, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Here we are told of the birth of Moses. Again, we're not given the information in this particular text, but we know that there were other siblings before him. For some reason, I immediately connect with Moses. Why? Because he has an older sister and an older brother, and he's number three. I have an older sister, I have an older brother, I'm number three. And so there's this connection automatically. Moses will learn, becomes a man of great faith. Why is that? You know why? Because his daddy and mommy were people of great faith. 
If you were to fast forward 1,500 years, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 actually mentions in this what? This hero, this hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, unlike children that are born today, we're not given a lot of details about um, Moses' birth. We don't know what time he arrived. We don't know how much he weighed. We don't know his, his, his height. But we're told what? He was a fine child. There are several translations that we tried to get an understanding here that Moses was a fine child. The New Living Translation, which I don't think is great here, calls him a special child. Now, there's a lot of ways you can interpret that. Moses was a special child. We know that the King James Version says that he was a goodly child. It helps maybe a little. I think the best, the most accurate by way of understanding for us comes from the New American Standard Version. It says that Moses was a beautiful child. Again, I can just connect and relate to Moses. I know that by the day is out, my older sister who listens to me preach will be reminding me that's not true. Generally speaking, what's interesting here and you know this to be true, all parents kind of think that their babies are all beautiful. But we actually know the truth, don't we? And you, you know, I mean, just call it whatever it is, there are babies that are beautiful. And then there are babies like our two children that were born. They are not so Beautiful, and I can say that only from experience and how we love the response. And you've, you've probably found yourself in those situations where someone just shows you like, well, well, look, here, here he is, here she is. And you look and you're just like, whoa, that's, that's, this is always interesting. Like, how do you get around this? That's a baby. <laughs> <clears throat> Not so with Moses. He was beautiful. Some would say that, that because he was beautiful, it was actually a sign. It was a, a mark at some level of divine favor. Perhaps, I, I don't think I could preach that one with authority. Perhaps, we don't know, divine favor just because someone is beautiful. Note as well, remember who's writing here. Remember who the author is of this story. Moses followed God's instruction, and according to Exodus 24, he wrote all the words of the Lord. So at this time, we know that Moses, as he's actually penning this story, he has the big picture. He kind of sees as he's looking back. But basically, Moses is saying this, I was born and I was beautiful. Kind of an odd thing at some level to think. D.L. Moody summarizes Moses' life quite well. He actually divides it into three sections or three chapters. 
Theo Moody says this, and I quote, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking that he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning that he was a nobody. And he spent his last 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. What a, what a great reminder for all of us. Setting the stage here, it is a dark time to have a baby. It, it would be a terrifying time at some level to have a baby. An edict had gone out, literally a decree, a law had gone out from Pharaoh, who was not only considered a king, but in this particular culture and setting was actually worshipped as a god, lowercase g, be assured of that. We'll see it throughout the book of Exodus. Because of the unstoppable growth and the blessing of this Hebrew family of people that had grown, what, from 70, they numbered at 70, to over what is estimated 2.4 million people. Pharaoh had become very, very nervous that he was going to lose his grip and his grasp on power. So as chapter 1 closes, what? He says, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. It's hard to even imagine, to even think of that. And what's interesting here, the parallels throughout all of Exodus, is that there is another rescuer. There is another redeemer, Jesus who was born at a time, if you recall, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, where Herod, a king, what, put out a decree, he sent and he killed all of the male children in Bethlehem, in all of that region. We can isolate blame to the atrocities of a pharaoh, or the wickedness the deviant nature of a Herod. But let's be mindful of the fact of the culture that we live in. As 2019 came to a close, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania releases statistics. Department of Health releases statistics from the previous year that listed that, that just, just in our one state, just in the state of Pennsylvania, 30,364 abortions. Just in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, just for 2018, numbers not yet released for 2019. 30,364, in a sense, were tossed. Thus, what? Thus, the responsibility that we have to pray, to speak, to come alongside the lives of those young girls, many of them in their teenage years, and minister to them and encourage them and do all that we can to support life. So yes, it's an evil, it's a deviant plan that Satan had, what, years ago to destroy. And that plan is still in place, that Satan seeks to destroy life today. After a period of three months of trying to keep a busy, moving, 
squiggly, wiggly baby boy quiet. Good luck with that. Any of you that know what three-month-old baby boys are like. Uh, Mom and dad found out, yeah, this is, this, this secret is not going to be held for very much longer. So what happens? It says that, that in verse three, when she could hide him no longer, she took a basket, made up bulrushes and, and dubbed it with bitumen. It's, it's a black tar-like pitch. Put a child in it. And, and as a mom, just think about kind of pushing. This is your child's. The basket, what is very, very interesting here, the word basket in Hebrew is actually the word tabah. And, and earlier in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, there is the, the Hebrew word tabah that surfaces repeatedly. And it's not necessarily a basket, but it's translated exactly the same way. What? It's an ark. That what? That was made to float. It was an ark that was actually covered in pitch. It was a, it was a ark. It was a tabah. It was a, a basket, a giant basket that what? They, they went into to be safe, to be saved as a place of protection. So remember now, as, as Moses is writing Exodus here, he's recording every single Hebrew person understands what this word tabah means. They, they know, <clears throat> excuse me, all about the ark <clears throat> that saved them. The significance of the fact that just as God's plan was to protect Noah, God's plan was to protect Moses as well. It's probably papyrus is what they are talking about here. They're just reeds, maybe an inch and a half, two inches wide. When they were dry, they could be kind of woven together. Papyrus grew along the, the, the marshy areas around the Nile, and it was covered with this, this thick dark on the outside, uh, or probably a smelly, sticky, but, but it, it was waterproof and it would keep the basket afloat, rather crude, but amazingly efficient. Think about the, what, the entire ancient Egyptian culture. It's this beautiful little boy. Is placed, wrapped, probably, hopefully, maybe his favorite little blankie. Pushed out far enough so he would not be seen, but yet with his older sister Miriam watching, she could keep an eye taking care of him to make sure that the oppressors wouldn't oppress any further. Now I want you to just pause right here for a moment. I want you to just stop. I think of moms especially. How, how much faith is needed in this little move right here, this little maneuver? Really? I mean, how much faith are you putting in this little tiny basket that's woven? Let's, let's talk today that every one of us would shoot a thousand holes into that plan. Like, this is clearly not going to work. This is long before the days of video baby monitors, okay? Long before vaccinations and vitamins and uber-safe, sterilized everything. 
We're talking the chances of this baby drowning are extremely high. There's no little water wings, okay? PFD, personal flotation device. There's, there's none of that. Let me tell you what there was. There is hungry crocodiles that love to feed on the edges amongst the bulrushes of the Nile. There were poisonous snakes. There were poisonous spiders. There was disease. This was a river, if you recall. They were throwing bodies, babies into it. You and I would have certainly come up with another plan. Uh, uh, This is just not going to work. Let's come up with a different plan. We'd come up with a better plan, right? Desperate, desperate, desperate time. Calls for desperate measures. All the while, what? There was a divine plan that was being put into place, a time for trust and a time for faith. Remember Hebrews chapter 11. That's what was needed. That degree of faith. Like a step that would be terrifying for you and I. But that step, that trust, that faith was needed right now. Secondly, we learned that God, how, how God in His grace provided for baby Moses. Number two. At this moment, this woman here, whom God sovereignly directs. Yeah, interestingly, with God's plan, it just happens to be the right person at the right place at the right time. And this woman here, at some level, She doesn't really seem to fit. And I think the telltale sign is a little phrase in verse 6 that says, She took pity on him. This is a culture of oppression. Only the strong survive. The weak get crushed. They literally talked that when the Hebrew slaves would be mixing the mud for the bricks, that they would expire. They would, they would be walking in the mud, churning it with their own legs in circles, that when somebody got so weak to pass out, that they would submerge into the mud and they would just continue to walk over them. The weak has no place here. Only the strong survive. A culture of oppression. Crying babies were being tossed and thrown away. They were just simply seen as a hindrance, as an obstacle to Pharaoh's deviant, evil master plan. And this woman knows that it's her own father who passed this edict of death. And yet what happens, it's like she's Princess Buttercup. She just has this gentleness. She knew the risk. She knew the complications. She was, she was thinking about the explanation, especially since this baby was one of them. And yet, and yet it seems that she reacts the same way that probably most of us, especially moms, women. And you see a crying baby. Oh, he's so cute. He's so beautiful. 
the plan that was being put into action, what? God uses the nurturing instinct that he places inside. And although what? This is a harsh, hard culture of oppression. There's still something that God places inside. I think especially in women and moms. And we see this nurturing instinct present even in Pharaoh's daughter. Not only did did it take that to save Moses' life, but what? To take care of Moses. Coincidental? No, it's never by coincidence. It's by divine providence and God's sovereignty who orchestrates every movement. Moses' sister Miriam just happened to be close by watching the entire event unfold. And she was able to offer what? I, I have an idea here. Hey, hey, by the way, baby was not only able to be brought home to be nursed, to be nurtured and loved by his own mother, but what? Now the evil empire is paying mommy to even take care of her own baby. God's grace is amazing, bountiful of blessing. What is God doing? He's raising up this deliverer right under Pharaoh's nose. You know, it leads to really an important point for all of us this morning. We may think, you may think, everything is falling apart. This is not the way that we write the script. This is not part of the plan here. We need to remember God's mysterious providence. God works all of this out, his perfect plan, according to his amazing ways. I live listening to the story of how Seth and Emily talk about the fact that it was actually what the atrocities of the late 80s and 90s of Saddam Hussein, who was actually what, trying to exterminate uh, the, the Kurds that pushed them all north into a particular region. When the Kurds were in that area, schools sprouted up, and it was one of the schools as a result of that that Seth went to go teach in. As we were praying for what? Lord, please find someone to love that poor boy. That it was what? It was, it was the atrocities in 2014 of ISIS that what? That brought our daughter-in-law, Emily, to the exact same city. Atrocity and atrocity brought people together for the blessing of what? A young couple that just desires to serve and please the Lord. And we see how God is always, always revealing his perfect plan. His, his plan. Finally, this is the first time that you actually hear his name. It's this woman, this princess, that calls him Moses. It means literally to draw out, thinking, I, I drew him, I found him, I brought him out of the water. But, but God knows that it's a perfect name. For not, Moses not only was what one that was drawn out of water, but he was the one that God was using to draw out the entire Hebrew people, the entire family, nation of Israel, to be brought out from under bondage in Egypt. And we'll see this over the next several weeks as Moses continues to grow. He just doesn't seem to fit in the story. 
You know, visited Jerusalem this past year and, and actually our daughter-in-law, Emily and I were in an old bookstore in Jerusalem. And, and I found this book written by a, a Jewish author from years and years ago. His name is Shalom Ashk. And he's, he, he's writing. It's a biography on Moses. And of course we know it's what, it's, it's based on truth, true story, but there's details and stories and pictures. And I love the way that Shalom Ashk actually describes Moses in his what? Being raised in the, the Egyptian courts. And yet he has this drawing. He has this longing. To be with those slaves. Listen to this one scene as he stands before his mother, the prince, princess. Moses stood up and bowed deeply before her. What, what wouldst thou do now, my son? I would go to my brothers and be among them. One more drop in the ocean of Egypt's slavery, she asked anxiously. My brothers are not slaves, mother. Among them is the spirit of their God. They observe his laws. They remember the names and the deeds of their forefathers. And they live according to the ancestral traditions which are passed on from generation to generation. But in Egypt, they're slaves. No, they live in the hope of redemption. According to the promise of their God, those that live in the expectation of redemption are not slaves, mother. I want to be with them in their hope and in their awaiting of redemption. Isn't it interesting that even in the midst of being raised in Pharaoh's courts, that there's a longing inside to be connected with, to be one of, and to long for freedom. In closing, a third point, very quickly, we can learn how God in His grace has protected and has provided for you through Jesus. Just as God has protected and provided Moses, God actually protects and provides for you. In Ephesians chapter 2, we know this verse, verse 8, For by grace, you, you, have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You know, at first reading of this, it's kind of hard to find what we would refer to as the protagonist. It's kind of hard to identify who, who really is the hero to this story here. Was it, was it dad and mom for having faith in this, in this narrative? Was it the princess? Was it Pharaoh's daughter for having, what, compassion and adopting the baby? Was it big sis? Was it Miriam for just being close by and saying, hey, I, I have an idea here? Or was it Moses who's just born beautiful? Is he the, is he the hero? He's just laying in a basket. Is Moses the hero of the story here? Let me remind you, as always in Scripture, who the hero to this story is. Always, in every story, both Old Testament and New Testament, God in his sovereign plan, his providential purposes, God is always the hero. God is always the hero. And we see it here in his sovereign plan to protect 
and provide. And what I love is that God is not only the, the hero of this story. God is the hero of my story. And God is the hero of your story. The story that's being scripted right now. Today is just one more page. I want you to note the the parallels here. For, For us, it isn't oppressive bondage and slavery. But it is what? A fallen, a deceitful, and a wicked heart that abides within us. For us, what? It isn't a hard-hearted Pharaoh, but it is a fallen, a rebellious, and a destructive enemy. For us, it is not, what? A a crocodile-infested Nile. But look around. It is a fallen, a broken, and a very dangerous world. And for us, what? It wasn't a basket. We don't really need a basket right now. It was a cross. It was a cross. And so today, what do we do with this moment? Don't ever squander and waste. We pause. And we go slow. And we meditate on God's amazing grace, evidence. Not not only in this story that is before us, but in in our own story. The psalmist says that the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Isn't that amazing? As we prepare our hearts and minds to, to commemorate and celebrate the communion table, I want us to just pause for a moment on the truth of Psalm 146. Just a few verses. Just, just listen very carefully. As I read about our hero, God, and what he's done for us through his son, Jesus. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. All the things that God has done for us. And I think it's that that one phrase that we see what encapsulated all the way through The story of Exodus, the Lord sets the prisoners free. We know we have before us a reminder specifically of of what happened and how it happened and why it happened. 
Galatians 5. I always summarize it in five words from Galatians 5. It's easy to remember. Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. Well, how did he do that? He paid the price that you and I could not pay. He lived a life that you and I could not live. A life of sinless perfection. A life of complete submission and obedience. And yet what? He was surrounded by those who hated him and wanted to, to, to rid the world of this one who, who claimed to not only know God, but claimed to be God. Jesus defied everything. Jesus defied everyone. And in perfect fulfillment to the promise that comes all the way back to the Old Testament. Jesus kept his promise. And we know that he went to the cross and, and he was pierced. Whipped, stripes literally were on his body as a result of, of the, the Roman lashings and whippings. He died. But we know that three days later, just as it was promised and prophesied, he came back to life again. Before the events took place of the cross and the tomb, Jesus was meeting with those in the upper room, his disciples, his followers. That's what we are. We're followers of Jesus. And, 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 and Jesus gave to them in ordinance. In ordinance is a command. You know the, you know the sign, no parking? Ordinance what? City ordinance 3161? That's an ordinance. It's command. As followers of Jesus, we're given another command. You're not going to get a ticket if you don't participate. That's what grace is about. But that's really how important it is for us to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. We know, all of us know this, we, we learn when we touch something, we, we learn and remember when we eat something, when we smell something. That's why Jesus gave to us the elements of what? This ordinance, the communion table. He was sitting with his disciples, his followers, and, and after they had eaten a meal, they took some bread and he broke it in front of them and he said, just as this bread was torn, was broken, my body is going to be broken for you. I think they were kind of looking strangely at him as they looked at one another. They didn't fully understand. They would later on. And after they broke it, they passed it around. They, they took a bite. They could taste it. He said, this is a picture. This is so you don't forget what I did for you. What I did to rescue you. To redeem you from your oppression, from bondage, from your slavery. It says as well that Jesus took a cup of, of wine and he, he poured it out in front of the disciples. He said, just as this was poured out, my blood is going to be poured out. Crucifixion was a bloody, horrid, blood-filled, blood-stained execution. He said, this is a picture of my blood. He said, I want you to drink it. And they passed it around and they drank it. They tasted it. He said, I want you to do this every single time that you gather do this until I come back again. Do this in remembrance. Don't forget what I've ever done. 
We choose to do it as a church, what, once a month? The third Sunday of the month? And we do this as what? As followers of Jesus. And so I just want to caution everyone and remind everyone that if you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, to accept the gift of salvation that is offered through his death, burial, and resurrection, then I would ask you very politely, if you're visiting here with us, I don't want to be rude, but I would ask you when it's passed, please refrain from taking that. It would be meaningless. It would be silly. If you've not put your faith in the, the, the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus. But also, I want you to know that today, this very moment, this moment, today, actually in the Bible, it says that today is the day of salvation. That if you recognize that you are a sinner, and that doesn't take a need, that doesn't need a lot of thought for any one of us. And you recognize that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That what all those who put their faith in Jesus are saved. That in this very moment, sitting right where you're sitting, in the quietness of your own heart and mind, you say, Lord, I confess the fact that I am a sinner and I desire for you to be my Lord. I want to live in obedience to you and I recognize that you're my Savior. And I would, I would encourage you. I'll make that decision today. And when this is served, this is for you to celebrate to remember what Jesus Christ has done. I'm going to invite the elders to come up and, and, and men, uh, deacons, others to serve you just to let you know that we're going to serve the bread first. Uh, I'd ask that when you receive it, just hold on to it for a moment. I'm going to ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup. And then they'll serve you the cup. And we will remember what Jesus Christ has done. And after we eat and enjoy and remember what Jesus has done, we'll sing a song together of God's amazing grace. And we will go. Let me remind you as well, I don't want you to race out afterwards, but to stay in this gathered time together to enjoy fellowship and communion. Take a few moments and quiet your heart now.
Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you as your children in celebration of what Christ has done for us. But also, Lord, with a sense of heaviness and commemoration, knowing what Jesus suffered on on our behalf. And as you're called out ones that have gathered together on your day, we just want to say thank you. We are so undeserving of your love and your grace. And we say thank you. Thank you for freeing us from the bondage of sin and death. For keeping us from the wiles and the evils of the enemy. Thank you that you've blessed us. You've called us to be light. And Lord, as we now take this bread and this cup, I would ask, Lord, that you would fill us up to be bright, shining lights in Lock Haven and Mill Hall and Woolrich and surrounding communities and that we, Lord, would, we would, we would not stop telling and shouting in the top of our lungs of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy and your love. Thank you. We love you. Bless this bread and this cup. In your name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church that's gathered together, just like this, they were gathered together in Corinth, and he gives instruction. He says this, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said this. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Eat this in remembrance of me.
Thank you, uh, gentlemen, brothers, for serving us this morning. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying this, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you come and close us and before we sing our last song and before we enter a cold world and a hard world and a dark world. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, both now and forever.